Welcome to We Hear Her. I'm Erin Trenbeth-Murray, and I'm here today with another amazing woman who is sharing her story and insights into life lessons learned. Hi, I'm Erin Trenbeth-Murray. Welcome to the We Hear Her podcast for women who succeed. I'm here today with an extremely accomplished woman in the community that leads Utah Business as Editor-in-Chief, Melanie Jones. And I recently got to know Melanie, I think it was just this spring. And the few times that we met in the beginning, I was so in awe of all that she has done and where she's at and where she's taking Utah Business. And as I've gotten to know her more personally, I've really felt a strong connection to her as she has shared some of her biggest wins and some of her lowest lows with me as a woman and as a human being, which I have appreciated her vulnerability so much. So let me tell you a little bit about um, Melanie Jones. And she is editor-in-chief, as I mentioned, for Utah Business. She worked as a curator and speaking coach for TED Talks, um, Salt Lake City, TEDx, excuse me, Salt Lake City, for five seasons, collaborating with some of Utah's brightest minds. She also spent over 25 years in the medical device manufacturing industry and specialized in various areas, including international account management, product training, digital marketing, and project management, which is a lot of varied um, and broad spectrum. Melanie is a frequent MC, panelist, and podcast guest, and she produced her own dental products podcast starting in 2006 before podcasting was cool, which I didn't know. So I want to hear about that first off the bat. Welcome, Melanie. I'm so glad you're here. Now I'm intimidated. So you were, su- you were such the expert on podcasts, and here we are. Here we are. A little homegrown one. So happy to be here with you, Erin. Thank you. Thank you. Tell me about the podcast first. Yeah. So this was in the beginning when people, I mean, everybody knows what a podcast is now. Yeah. Back then I had to explain to people what a podcast was. And I had heard one and I was like, I wonder if I could do something like this. And I was working at a dental manufacturer in South Jordan and I thought, well, We've got these dental professors who come to town and researchers and chemists and all these. So I just started interviewing people and produced this dental products podcast. I did about 50 episodes. And during the course of that, I had some naysayers. And this is actually a career regret. Um, There were people who didn't understand podcasting. And even though it cost me nothing to produce this, we just Mm -hmm. did it within the building equipment we, we already had. Um, visitors we already had. I didn't have to pay anybody. People were like, why are you spending time on this? Who's even going to listen to this? And I kind of let it beat me down a little bit. And eventually I was like, well, if nobody is really into this, then why am I wasting my time? But I'll tell you one thing that happened is I went to this convention in Las Vegas and I took my producer and all of our equipment with us, and we recorded a podcast there, actually several, with some really famous, famous dentists. Did you know there was nope. a thing? No, nope, I didn't. I feel like I should know yeah, that. Our, but our yeah. famous, famous dentist. Okay. You know. uh, <laughs> I guess just for, in any industry. In any there industry. Was, yeah. My hair is in my mouth. Um, yeah, so I interviewed a few of them, and one of them, he ran kind of this dental media empire. And to get him in the door, he's like, what are we doing? 
Where okay, it's not video because it was all audio. All audio, yeah. Um, what are we doing? So we hook him up, and I interviewing him, and he's like, "Where is this gonna be?" Like he just didn't get it. So that was the first time he had ever recorded a podcast, mm-hmm. and since then, he started his own podcast and has recorded thousands of episodes. He's and like he, a woman launched it. I right there. You taught him how. Yeah, and he's the most prolific podcaster in the dental industry. And if I had kept going like he did, then I would have been in that same category, you know? But I let naysayers kind of talk me out of it and question myself and my vision. And so I, I regret that. You know, don't we all have those? Mm-hmm. It's hard to, it, being a risk taker and being bold. And, and also... Um, there's just life happening at the same time. So sometimes it's difficult to push yourself to the to that that edge. Your storytelling, though, that, right, led, I bet, in a lot of ways, contributes at least, to your current role as editor-in-chief for Utah Business. And I think it was our second meeting when I learned more about your vision for wanting to have a stronger female voice in Utah Business as a more organic element that was coming through versus just a once in a while token on a panel or featured article or something like that. Mm -hmm. And um, you hadn't been in the job, I don't think, very long. And sure enough, every time I turn around, I mean, it's just so, it's just so naturally integrated. It's just business leaders. Mm -hmm. You don't have to differentiate male, female. There doesn't have to be, you know, it's, it's really, really refreshing, and I'd love to hear more about your intent on that and your vision for storytelling with Utah Business. Yeah. I mean, I think some of this goes back to my days at TEDx Salt Lake City when we really, over the course of the time I was there, we really made an effort to make sure we had representation. And the first season that we really were conscious about it I noticed after the season was over, you're not conscious of everything right when you do it, right? I I noticed when the season was over, oh, we had people of ethnic diversity, for example, talking about diversity issues. And we had a woman on the stage talking about women's issues. Right. And then we had men talking about science and math and entertainment and engineering and environmentalism and travel and, you know, all of these things. But it's like the women were put in this bucket and then underrepresented people were also put in their bucket that the only expertise you can have is your identity. And so then the next, like after, after I was aware of that, like when you see it, you can't unsee it. And I started noticing in conference agendas, they have a woman, a woman on the agenda or a woman on the panel. And her job is to talk about being a woman not how to manage the EBITDA of a company, you know? Yeah. It's about being a woman. And so I really wanted to be conscious of the fact that in our community, we have amazing people of all stripes doing amazing things. And it's not just one category of people. And one category of people can't just do one type of thing. And so um, I really am invested in telling those stories and making sure that we don't pigeonhole people. Well, it's so refreshing and noticeable for sure. It's interesting because it's noticeable because it's so naturally integrated both at the same time. I mean, there is definitely, we have to hear a voice that hasn't been heard 
Um, but we want to hear the voice also related to their skill sets and their expertise and their intelligence, not just how they physically physically look. So right. um, bravo. Thank I mean, honestly, I really appreciate that. You know, in when you speak about TEDx Salt Lake, the um, the the kind of the entrepreneurial spirit of the dental podcast piece. Then you have this background also in medical devices, which you can't be a dummy, I'm assuming, to be in that world. Plus, you did like this huge spectrum, a variety of like very interesting things within that world. And now you taught business. You come across to me so put together and just you've got it all and you've got it all figured out and you're um, really just ready to go. Have you have you come from a family and a background that set you up for success in that regard? Mm. I mean, first of all, thank you. And that's definitely not how it feels inside, right? right? None of, probably nobody feels totally put together all the time. And I, I certainly don't. I'm I'm a wreck most of this way. You're all like smiling and you're very calm and cool and collective. I see you running your events and everything else, but... Yeah, certain things rattle me and certain things don't. That's true. But what do you think contributes um, to that that element, that air of, of um, polish that comes across? Um, polished. Wow. You are putting me on the spot. Well, certainly not a way I think of myself. But when I, when I think about um, the entrepreneurial spirit and experiencing a lot of different things, I think about my mom. Mm -hmm. um, when I was growing up, my mom was a single mom, and there were five kids. And even though we didn't have much, and my mom was working three jobs, wow, she always encouraged me to get involved. And so she's like, "If you want to try out for cheerleader, that would have been bad, by the way." No, <laughs> or Nathan, <laughs> but like she would say that if you want to try out for cheerleader, try out for cheerleader, which I didn't. But I was in choir. I was on the bowling club, even though I never had bowled before joining the club. I was in the French club. I, you know, I did various things at school, making sure that I was involved. But I was also working. I started working when I was 15. Um, after school, every night, I worked about 3.30 until 9 or 10 every night. And, you know, we're on welfare. So... Some of that was saving up for college. Some of it was paying for my own orthodontics. I paid for my braces. Wow. Um, school fees, you know, all of that. And I think that at the time, it, it didn't really bother me that I worked so much. My grades did suffer, so I didn't think of myself as a great student. Um, but it was like, this is opportunity. Maybe I live in this household where we don't have much and... My dad's not really involved, and my mom has to work a lot to make ends meet. And I've got all these siblings with their own needs and, you know, all of this. But there is a way for me to make my, make my way in the world. You know, I can get this job. I will go to college because I can find my way in. I can um, pay for my braces, which helped with the constant smiling, right? Right. Before that, right. is constant, like, covering my mouth when I smile. Awesome. Um, and, you know, I worked in dental for a long time. And so I've, 
I've learned kind of the psychology behind that. When you're not comfortable with your smile, it actually impacts the way you present yourself to the world mm. and how outgoing you are, how friendly you are. If you're always covering your mouth or you don't want to be seen, um, that impacts how you show up. Sure. Wow. So single mom, six in the household, her and five kids. That just seems so daunting and overwhelming to me. Um, that tenacity and resiliency, where did it come from? Your mom was encouraging you. But that, you know, my background, I don't know if you know this, but my background for 25 years was CEO of a nonprofit serving families in poverty. I think we talked about that. What you're describing is fairly unusual, I would say. It definitely, it's the starfish story, you know. But um, what what other things contributed, do you think, to your resiliency? Was it in your DNA? Were there other family members or close friends or neighbors? Was there a faith? Was there a teacher? What else contributed to your um, grit and your resiliency? Honestly, at that point, when I look back on it, I think I was a little numb, honestly. Um, there was all this stuff happening around us that we couldn't control. Couldn't control. And I was obedient. You know, my mom said, get involved, and I got involved. And there was this time, my mom says that she saw a personality shift in me. I was always very bookish and quite shy, um, introverted. Never had a problem talking to adults, but didn't have the easiest time making friends. And in high school, um, my dad, he lived out of state. And when he would come to Utah, he wouldn't always tell us that he was here. He would come and do something and, and not see his kids, right? So he had told us, you know, let me know when, whenever you have performances or whatever. And I, you know, I was a kid. I didn't always give him enough notice and didn't understand scheduling or whatever. So I heard he was going to be in town. I told him I had a choir concert. And he said, oh, I can't make it. I have a date. And I don't know why it would impact me so much because we didn't have a lot to do with him at that point. But my mom said she saw a switch flip. And now, and she thought it was a positive thing back then. And now looking at it, I see it was actually really unhealthy that she thinks I reacted like, oh, you're not going to love me just for being me. Like I have to earn this and I have to be friendly and I have to be outgoing because I can't count on people to just be there for me. I have to earn that. And so she saw like suddenly this switch flip and I became outgoing and friendly and all of this I actually got friendliest girl student my senior year I believe that but that wasn't me you know I was in a corner reading Anne of Green Gables you know that that was how I spent my life growing up until that point and then I became over involved and you know I don't know if that's really what happens but it's what my mom noticed in me it's interesting the disruptions that happen in our lives that whether it's a big win or a devastating challenge um, that takes us and pivots us into a direction. And um, Georgie, who was here earlier today, um, we were talking a little bit about reflection and 
you know, it, I think that and, and judgment, judgment of ourselves, judgment of situations, it just sometimes it just is what it is. And this is what all those circumstances, for whatever reason, brought me to where I am right now. Mm-hmm. And now you, I mean, Utah business, there could be, I can't almost think of a more, um, honestly, in Utah, a more male dominant kind of arena <laughs> than the business sector in Utah. And you more than hold your own. And um, I'd like to know what you think of that that pivot from what you just described and if there's any positive elements of that in your work professionally now. And there may not be. It may be, no, I, it's X, Y, Z. But what do you think about that path or that journey, that pivot to where you're at with your professional career now? Um. On the career path wise or like the personality stuff we're talking just what I'm trying what I'm trying to better understand is like you're now editor in chief of Utah business and I've seen your work ethic, I've seen your grit, and there's a, a softness and a toughness to to you. It comes seems to come across to me, and I'm wondering if that is tied back at all to that pivot and shift yeah variant very well could be, and I think that there are times in my life you know I was so busy trying to check off the list and follow Mm -hmm. the rules and do what my mom said and like not be late for work and do like all the things right just trying to be a good girl all the time and I don't know I, I think that for so long I didn't have much that I felt like I could complain about um I had I felt happy. I felt like I had a job and I had friends and and all of these things. And I think I wasn't very empathetic to other people. Mm. And then I went through a really hard phase of depression. Mm -hmm. And it opened my eyes to what could be happening inside of a person, anywhere around us, that seems fine. Everybody seems fine. Yeah. But what is happening inside them? And could we be a little softer, you know, just to make somebody's day a little less hard? I know I'm so touched by that. That extra moment of of checking in with people and noticing um, whether it's someone that is just giving you coffee or that is someone that's your close friend or a business associate and pausing and checking in on them. You have four kids, mm-hmm. boys or girls. I can't two boys, two, two girls. boys, two girls. So when they look at you, what do you think when they become adults, what do you think are the top couple of things, um, descriptive words they might use to describe you? Hmm. Um, my son recently, my oldest, he's 16, he recently said, scary. I didn't, I, like it. I didn't love that. I like, like it. I <laughs> never yell. Your 16-year-old son. I never yell. I'd drive you everywhere. I bought your corsage for your date because I knew you wouldn't think to order. Like, yeah. why am I scary? I don't know. Um, so there's that. I hope that they, I, I know that they probably think I'm slightly workaholic. Mm-hmm. Um, I know they think that. And you and I have talked about yeah. Yeah, that from your kids. But I hope that what they learn from that, especially my girls, 
I, I see so many situations, even with close relatives, where they are stuck in positions they have no control over because they didn't complete their education and they didn't have a work history. Um, so obviously there's nothing wrong with any choice a woman wants to make mm -hmm. about whether she stay, stays home with kids or whether she works. Um, I am trying to encourage my girls. I mean, it's an obvious with the boys, right? But trying to encourage with the girls that even in this place where we live, where it's not always encouraged to finish your education and go to work, everybody needs to have a skill. You And not just to fall back on. That's what we say around here. That's important too. You should have it to fall back on. But also, it um, increases your confidence. It makes you an equal partner in a relationship. You know, to your point, Utah, according to Wallet Hub, is number one with young women that drop out of college mm -hmm. and that that lifelong education and desire whether it's a technical degree a two-year degree a four-year degree a master's degree whatever um mm -hmm. having that post-secondary piece yes it puts you in a position of stability more likely to have stability and economic well-being mm -hmm. i love the part of the piece about it builds your confidence i i you know when i have conversations with my spouse and he has background and he loves economics. And I don't have an education in economics. So I feel at a disadvantage to a degree or sports. Mm -hmm. I've been dialoguing football a lot lately. And so I've been reading and watching some things and trying to learn more um, because I want to be on equal footing and have intelligent conversations with right. him about what's interesting and important to him. So tell me, do you think your, um, I've told you that my sons, my 24 and 20 year old sons, I ask them, what do you remember really about growing up? And they'll go through things. But at the top of the list, first thing Harrison said was, you're gone at night a lot. You were gone at night a lot. He, and I was so hurt. I felt like a knife kind of went through me like, oh, they noticed that I was a CEO. Whoops. You know? <laughs> and then he said, no, what was neat, mom, is um, you came home and we always had dinner together as a family. We always did. It was very rare. And then I would often change into some cocktail attire and then leave for a reception of some sort or a gala. But he said, what I know is that you were a leader and I'm proud of you. And I'm proud that you had that role. So in the long run, you know, we, you sacrifice as a woman heavily with mm -hmm. a career. You try to, like you said, I was thinking about when you said I tried to be good and check off the list. And there's definitely... I think some of that that dwells with me, but we just can't be perfect at everything. We just want to be the best we can at a lot of things. Yeah. And, you know, I've talked to my daughters about it, too, and I, I've had really frank conversations and asked, you know, would you rather, not that I'm going to do what they say. Yeah, yeah. Would you rather I was home? Like, here's what it would mean for our family and, and the things that we do. And they're like, you're mostly home. You're mostly home. And and I really try to create experiences for our family. Like we have the same house and the same cars that we had when I was working part-time when I had new babies. So we have not thrown all that money into fancy trippings in our house, but we make sure that we expose our kids to cultures and travel and take them to museums and you know, take them to plays at Eccles or at Hale or what, and, and different kinds of music and make sure that they're involved in the community and the ways that we can make it happen. And some of those things come from having 
a stronger financial bottom line. Right, right. right. There's just not a one-size-fits-all for every woman. Well, is there any uh, final, as we wrap up this podcast, is there any final guidance? And I'm going to specifically ask you if you could speak to maybe the low-income women or moderate-income young women that are trying to figure out, could I, I can't afford college, mm -hmm. how would I ever do that? Um, I don't know anyone that's gone to college. Um, what what guidance or advice could you give them with your with your background? Yeah, that is really hard when you don't know what to do, especially if you're first generation college and your parents are encouraging you to go to school. Getting a mentor of some sort. I mean, I feel like I know somebody. Oh, women who succeed. Yeah, there we yeah, go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but finding somebody who can help you through that journey because what seems so complicated to you is not that complicated for someone who's been through it you know um applying for a grant that you don't have to pay back or how can you balance your work schedule so you're working part-time you're going to school part-time is it going to be great to have to work and go to school at the same time no but also um I spoke with a woman recently who was saying, oh, I, I did some college and then I had my babies and then I got divorced and now I'm living with my parents. And she was telling me all this stuff. So now is not the right time for school. Yeah. And I said, and maybe this is where the scary comes from. I know. I was like, hmm, sounds like you need to stop making excuses. Yeah. And she's like, I said, I don't know why you would think it will ever be easier than it is right now. Because actually every year that goes past, it's going to be harder to finish school, even as your, your kids get older. Unless you're postponing this like 30 years, you know, it's always going to be harder. So start now, especially this one. She was living with her parents. You've got a built-in babysitter. And now there are so many online options as well. Mm -hmm. um, COVID did us a favor in that regard. Everything else was garbage. Yeah. But did us a favor in remote work and remote schooling. There's so many online programs now. And if you just start chipping away at it and develop an appetite for learning and just continue it, even if you pay as you go, one class at a time, all you can afford, get a grant, get a mentor, like just, just make it happen. I love that. Develop an appetite for learning. That's great. Well, Melanie, thank you so much for being so vulnerable and sharing such a spectrum of your life. It was very personal and um, get also giving insight into your professional background was just really interesting. So with that, um, thank you for being here today for the We Hear Her podcast for Women Who Succeed, and we hope you join us next time. Thank you for taking the time to hear her. Join our efforts and learn more about Women Who Succeed at womenwhosucceed.org.